Connor and I met eight years ago on our first day of work at Facebook New York. While I didn't like him at first, I knew he was smart and filled with an intensity to accomplish something great. Connor is now one of my best friends and I'm constantly in awe of what he has been able to accomplish. The arc of his career, from jobless in New York, to young maverick at Facebook, to product marketing leader at a firm, to fearlessly starting his own company co-op will surely captivate you. His life holds such deep lessons, not only for entrepreneurs, but for anyone who has ever had a burning desire to do something bigger with their life. And we're very, very excited to be sponsored by the Making Lemonade Fund, Gen Z's fastest growing fundraiser, supporting COVID-19 relief, pediatric cancer, and a bunch of other great causes. Get behind them over at makinglemonadefund.com and sponsor made by our very own Jesse K. Today, we have, as a guest, Connor Sherline. Connor is the CEO and founder of Co-op Commerce, one of the most exciting startups in the world right now in terms of e-commerce, D2C brands. Connor is originally from California and had a very interesting career working at Facebook for a while, then a firm, and then he started Co-op, and now he's deep in the middle of things, deep in the middle of starting his own company, chugging along with the hero's journey of being a startup founder in Silicon Valley. And we're so excited to have Connor here today. Connor, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate it. How's, the, how, how's everything going right now? Like, I know like, it's a crazy time to be alive for many reasons, and I'm sure you're super busy, but you're probably in the heat of battle daily, just keeping up with the craziness of your startup. Like, what's, where's your headspace at right now? Really good. I mean, it's a, it's been an, we had an insane year in e-commerce last year in 2020. And as we entered into Black Friday, Cyber Monday and into December, it was very exciting to be part of the world of e-commerce. We put up some incredible numbers for all of our brands. We hit over 300 brands live on the network, uh, which is up from 30 in July. So we've been growing almost hundred percent month over month for four or five months with no slowing down, which is very exciting. Uh, and then outside of that, personally, a firm just went public yesterday and I obviously spent you know a year, almost a year and a half at a firm. So it was really fun to take part in that yesterday. That's uh, fun to, to see the IPO pop you know, above 130%. And if anything, it's just more validation that the world of e-commerce is going to birth like many, many, many decacorns yeah. in the future. That's great. I mean, I love to hear about what's going on right now. It sounds like really exciting. But also, as you know, this podcast is really about exploring the earlier Connor. You know, those big moments of transition in your life. We've got <laughs> three to talk about today. But let's start with, with the first one that we have written down here. So, okay. you know, you are from Orange County in California. And I know that a big moment for you is when you moved from Orange County to Dallas. So can you tell us about that story and, and that's impact on you? Yeah, totally. Uh, so I grew up in Orange County, as you mentioned, uh, in a very, a very uh, cookie cutter, fortunate upbringing, I guess you could say. Have you ever seen the show Weeds? Yeah. Uh, well, Weeds is like little boxes on the hillside, Nancy Botlin, and, and that was basically Coda de Casa, which is where I grew up. Uh, very, very similar. Uh, pretty idyllic childhood and and honestly can't say anything negative about Orange County it's almost too good to be true so good to be true that like very few people leave like Mm -hmm. basically no one leaves Mm -hmm. everyone that is from Orange County stays in Orange County and when college came around I really wanted to I wanted to just completely change my horizon so I tried to I tried to move to New York and and go to NYU uh and I ended up writing this like letter to the Dean of Admissions at NYU really? to try to get mm-hmm. what was like, the I, put together, I put together this like like really thought-provoking packet, basically, like very personalized thing about me and like why I should get in and why yeah. they should accept me, even though my grades aren't great. And I got like the most cold response, like a little the little letter in the mail. It's like, sorry, you're not in. Wow. Like, <laughs> bye. <laughs> okay, so I like let's dive deeper into that letter if you are able to to reopen that memory. Like, so 
you're basically, it's essentially like your first sales pitch, right? Like a, a very serious sales pitch in your life when you were, I don't know, 18 or something. Did you say like, yeah. right? Like I'm Connor, I'm special because X, like forget my grades for a second, but here's what I bring to the table. Like, I'd just be really curious to know what, what is that? What do you say at that point? Uh, that's a great question. I can't remember what I put in it, but I do know that one thing that I had taken up in high school was graphic design. Okay. I'm not a very good designer, but I know how to make like things look pretty, right? Yeah. So I thought to myself, I was like, what would impress me? And I've always yeah. been obsessed with marketing, right? And presentation. I'm very obsessed with the design, the look, the feel of products, even our own product. Yeah. My team gets very annoyed with me every day because I'm like to the nuance of how the transition works, how the animation works. So I use that and put together like this beautiful packet. I just remember it being very beautiful. It's like the right line spacing, a nice Helvetica font yeah. and like really like concise and nicely put together. And I got it. I went to FedEx or Kinko's at the time. That's how old I am. Uh, Kinko's and I got, I got it bound. Like I got what? it like, literally, like spiral. I don't know bound. how you do that. Wow. And I, I put it in like a pretty like beautiful envelope and I like addressed it to the office of admissions in New York city. And I, I just thought like, you know what, if I was going to impress the Dean of admissions, like I would do something like this. And I thought into my head, it was what would impress the yeah. Dean of admissions at NYU? Uh, and of course, like it probably never made it to him. So I don't know. What People probably thought, uh, you know, what is this thing? And yeah. then they, I was probably, I was probably not, admitted like even before it got there uh, yeah. but I remember distinctly actually it's very I remember it perfectly because I had I was uh it was like March I think normally you learn, learn about college in April right yeah yeah it was March and I was in Spain I was on a Spanish immersion trip with like my like senior class we all went to Spain and we were there for uh 10 days and I knew that my NYU I was gonna hear like by the last day uh, like by April 10th or something and I was still in Spain. So my mom ended up like calling, I called like every day to see if it, I come in. She's like, I'm sorry. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's like, that's a pretty romantic. I think that says a lot. Like one, every, every high school student probably has like strong feelings, but I want to go to the school and stuff, but not every high school student literally puts together like a, a diary, like a, like a portfolio and put so much effort into that. I actually, I never knew you did that, but I think it says a lot about you, which is <laughs> um, So, okay, so uh, then what, what, what next? So you're like, okay, shit, NYU didn't work out. Like, did yeah, you NYU apply to a out. bunch of schools? Uh-huh, so I applied to, I applied to Boulder, like CU Boulder. There's almost like these two sides of me, and you know this, being a good friend of mine, but there is this side that like loves cities and, and activity, and then there's the side of me, like I live in Marin right now. Mm -hmm. Like I live in the woods yeah. and there's that side of me too. So like the side of me that was super excited about skiing and hiking and all that stuff was like, you should go to Boulder. It'll be a really good time. Uh, but I also realized that if I went to Boulder and had a good time, like, I don't know how I had this at 18 yeah. and I'm lucky that I did. I was like, I probably just wouldn't be very motivated. Yeah. Uh, so I decided to go to SMU in Dallas of yeah. all places. Uh, and the only reason I chose SMU instead of Dallas is because I remember my dad, actually, it was very sage advice from my dad. He's like, well, which one feels scarier to you? Yeah. Mm. And I said to him, I was like, um, well, going to Dallas sounds really scary. Like, yeah. it's Texas. Texas is scary. I'm from California. Like, what is there to do in Texas? I've never even been to Texas. I don't know what there is to do in Texas. I don't know anyone in Texas. Uh, and, but that stuck with me. And I was like, you know what? this is a good opportunity to do something really scary. So I just, yeah. I went to SMU and I didn't know a single soul when I got there. It was completely, completely alone. Not a single person from my high school went there. And I went to a high school with a graduating class of like over a thousand people and not one person yeah. other than me went to SMU. What's, what's the, the culture shock when you get to SMU? Because I know that um, going to a school where you don't know anyone in a different state specifically Texas, which is a very strong personality as a state. Um, uh, did, what, what did you take away from that, both when you got there and by the time you graduated? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is that SMU uh, almost wasn't, like I was looking for a culture shock and I, I did get a culture shock in a different way, but it was like one, one of the things that I didn't love about Orange County 
and where I was from was it was like materialistic and not very not very like cerebral right it was like a very like Orange County LA I know this is over a generalization but both of those cities are very like be seen be be good looking like care about what you look like what you wear what you drive all that stuff right so I thought to myself I was like all right I want to go somewhere that's not like that uh and when I got to SMU I was like it was even it was crazier it was like the most insane wealth I've ever experienced in my life like it was like I got to the my freshman dorm and and it was I it was uh all Range Rovers like in a row like and it was all oil money like like these super rich kids that I like astounding wealth like I grew up I grew up in like a very privileged upbringing, like no buts about it. And I was even blown away. So mm. it was kind of, it was kind of weird in that way because I felt, I felt like previously, like I was really enamored by wealth, but then, and, and almost cared about it too much. I was like, Oh, like, because I grew up in Orange County. And then when I got really close to it and was at SMU, it just started to like, I don't know. You just started to realize that it doesn't matter. Right. Um, and I had this pivotal moment where I was like, in freshman year becoming almost more more materialistic and like really wanted to fit in and really wanted to like, like see mm-hmm. and then fr- and then sophomore year i was like screw this this is just all stupid like i don't need to be different while i'm here so it was interesting like i tried to assimilate freshman year i would say Fre- so- uh, junior uh, sophomore year i i didn't uh and then I actually studied abroad and ended up spending the next two summers in New York and ended up moving to New York. Um, so it was fine. It was great because I experienced a whole part of the country and I have so many friends in the South now and I know about the South and went to Mardi Gras and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, it was a culture shock in, in, uh, in many ways, but also a super period of growth. Like, I don't think I would have, I don't think I would have understood uh, my values really as much as I do uh, now or as early as I did until I was exposed to like this whole other thing. And I said, oh, not into that. What, what, what do you mean by your values specifically? Just that money doesn't, at the end of the day, money doesn't matter, right? Like people are people and what matters is like whether or not you're a good person. Mm-hmm. It's not how much money you have. And like your problems come with you and are with you, whether or not you're super wealthy or whether or not you're not like those same problems are still with you right like you still have so much of that baggage regardless of if if you're wealthy or not so I, I just realized that for me uh money's great and that's cool but it's not like I, I started I started caring a lot less about like material things mm-hmm. I guess you could say uh, yeah and that defined like my values to be like all right well and maybe you know I, I hate to admit it but maybe I cared like about those things in creating friendships previously. And afterwards I was like, I don't care about this at all, right? Like this isn't a value of mine. Uh, so I felt like it was a really good lesson to learn at like 19, 20 years old. Yeah. Because I think when you graduate and you enter into the workforce, you can get on that rat race. Yeah. I'm just like money, 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 success, 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 success. And maybe like you haven't been around that many successful people or realize that like super successful people are not happy people necessarily or that, you know, and like that stuff that you can work on now uh, versus like waiting till you have hit those milestones and then being miserable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's position though, like in any way. I mean, look what you're doing now, right? You're, it, did it almost in some way ignite a bit of a fire in you to prove some of those people wrong as well? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, it, yes and no. Like, in some ways, uh, I've always been a really, really strangely ambitious person. Like, I've always just really liked doing hard things. Uh, it's, it's just in my nature. Uh, Kirsten, my wife, tells me all the time, she's like, you just will never stop. Like, you'll never be satisfied. Like, it's, it's like Hamilton. It's why I relate to Hamilton yeah. and Alexander Hamilton so much. Like, you'll never be satisfied. Like you're like my, like one of my best friends at my wedding, Tiffany, you were there, Tony said that it's just like my personality and my DNA. Uh, but one thing that I did delineate was like, what are you doing it for? Right. Uh, and for me, it's not money. 
Like money is, is definitely like, would I be upset if money wasn't in the equation? Like, or be doing something if there was no money in it? Probably not, but it's not like, it's not the ultimate motivator, right? It's not like the thing that motivates me. If I, if I would have been motivated by money, I wouldn't have, like everyone at SMU was telling me, you shouldn't major in marketing. You should major in finance, mm -hmm. do finance. I was like, no, I'm going to do marketing because I don't like finance. Uh, so yeah, I think that, I don't know if it was like, I don't know if there was a, if there was a subliminal like chip on my shoulder in that way, but it definitely uh, impacted me on like my values and whatnot. Did you have a clear idea in your head? Like, so you majored in marketing, so you're clear about that, right? Okay, I don't want to major in finance, don't do that. But, but marketing, that's still like a pretty ambiguous-ish degree, right? Did you have in your head, I'm majoring in marketing to work in generic marketing thing in the future? Or, or was it clearer to you in your head? I think that marketing has just always been something that I'm naturally very talented at. Uh, and for me, when I was in classes around marketing i just excelled like i was always i understood it i understood and one of the things that i would say i i am good at is just understanding people and the how consumers engage with things and what they care about uh, and finance i actually was a major i changed my major five times so at oh, first i was like a lot of times uh, yeah it was like i want to maybe i want to do pre-med which is laughable now then it's like, maybe I want to do uh, finance. And then I also looked at some of like liberal arts degrees, like psychology uh, and even, you know, and then ended up in marketing. And, and I think that anyone that knows me now would think it would, would, would probably laugh at me having any major besides marketing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's just like, it's just like what I'm good at, right? Uh, but when you're young, you don't know that. Like, you can't see yourself, right? Like, when you're, when you're young, you can't see who you are, almost. Like, it's, it's this strange thing. Like, you don't have wins under your belt yet, right? Or, like, external validation that says, like, oh, yeah, you're really good at this thing. You know, like, you might have grades, right? Like, you get good grades. You get high marks in school. You have that validation. But you don't have, like, the outside world validation of, like, oh, you're actually, like, really, really specifically you are talented at this thing like that is your secret sauce like that's your secret sauce and i would say my secret sauce is definitely marketing but when i was younger i just didn't i didn't realize it you know like you don't have that external validation connor the the next big transition then like you graduated from college and it seems like you went through a lot of discovery in terms of your values both at a like high level like what you value in life why you're motivated and also the specific skill sets that you realize, like, if you're not a pre-med guy, maybe you're not going to become a doctor, <laughs> but um, marketing is, it, after, you know, four years, you know, four years is a long time to discover yourself, you know, that's the great thing about college. So you, it seems like, so you left college equipped with at least a better understanding of yourself, at the very least. And yeah. then the, the next thing, the next big transition for you was like getting a, a job after college, and it sounds like you were jobless, then were had the opportunity to get a job at Facebook. What, what was the story behind that? <laughs> uh, so one thing I would say, Ben, that you mentioned is like, I definitely get a massive chip on my shoulder and love when people tell me I can't do things. So uh, <laughs> when I was in, like I, so a good example of that yeah, is I was, a story. I was a vegetarian for in, from uh, sixth grade to sophomore year of high school, just because my dad told me that I couldn't do it. <laughs> like I literally didn't touch meat for, for what is that, four or five years. And I love meat, like I love hamburger, steak, whatever. But like, uh, anyway, so everyone told me I was an, an idiot for turning down. I had a lot of job prospects in Dallas. I actually was a digital media director before I graduated college at a magazine and they wanted me full-time at the magazine uh, I helped like start all of their ads business I took them digital uh, before I graduated I was working there like 30 hours a week my senior year so I had like a lot of job prospects and at this time 
in this is 2013 the job market like still hadn't totally rebounded from from uh the recession right like it was still not the best market lots of people were struggling to find jobs dallas is a hot job market but i was moving to new york no matter what i was like i'm moving to new york i don't care i am moving to new york i'm moving to new york i'm moving to new york so i took two months off i went to thailand uh sorry to to double down to the new york thing like what about new york like because is it just it just seemed like the obvious place to be was it I mean, you mentioned the NYU thing, of course, but like, can we elaborate more? And like, why were you so set on New York? Because you didn't say it has to be New York. You didn't say New York or San Francisco or LA, or it's just New York. Why is that? My uncle lived in New York my whole life and we would visit him frequently. And I just, I I was obsessed with New York. Uh, I went to visit him like two times probably over the course of my life before I graduated, before I had graduated high school. And I just loved New York. It's like it, the energy, the uh, sensory overload of the city was just like intoxicating to me. Uh, and it still is. It's, it's, it, it's, such an, it's such an incredible, incredible place that is like spiritual in many ways. So I, uh, I always, always wanted to move to New York. Like when anyone would ask me, my mom actually found a video that I made in the first grade, like on, iMovie and uh, the it was like a slideshow of all the things I said I was going to do in my life. (laughs) Well, that's amazing. Wait a minute. What is on that list? Uh, Yeah. Wow. And it said, I will live in New York. I will live in San Francisco. (laughs) I will as well. It's such an imperative. There is no no for an answer. Yeah. So I... uh, yeah, and I did both of those things, and she reminds me of that frequently, uh, which is great. I mean, but what happened was I, I just needed to live there after graduation. At that point, I had interned there two summers, and I was like, this is my city. Mm. You know, I had friends there. I felt accepted there. It was the place that I felt like my ideas and my energy and everything about me. And even to this day, I feel like I identify as a New Yorker, mostly. You know, like the brashness, the, the audacity, the uh, directness, the the volume, <laughs> right? Yes. Like, like I'm a loud person. I'm I'm big personality, uh, and someone that you know that my mom always said you know that I had colic and I that I would be heard, and that like is New York to me. You know, that mm-hmm. is New York. So I wanted to move there and. Everyone told me I was crazy. I had $5,000 in cash that my grandma had given me for graduation. So I packed up a U-Haul uh, and took all my stuff from Dallas and drove with my mom across the country and ended up in New York with no apartment and no, uh, and no place to work. So I- what, Where does it U- leave you on night one? <laughs> uh, so we stayed at a hotel. And then we stayed with my uncle, which was really nice because he lived in Greenwich Village. So I stayed, you know, in Greenwich Village with him. Uh, but he then also was kind of like, all right, come on, kid, you got to get out of here. So it took me about two weeks, probably two and a half weeks to find an apartment and a job. Uh, while my U-Haul was parked under the overpass, the BQE, the Brooklyn Queens Expressway in Williamsburg. So like all my belongings are below this like really shady bridge and I'm like on my feet trying to find a job, trying to find an apartment, uh, end up finding one in the East Village that has with a, a bedroom with no windows uh, in the basement uh, with really, really random terrible roommates and ended up taking my previous internship back at Mashable, which was like a publisher at the time, uh, working there for you know, a whopping, what was it, probably $15 an hour. Uh, So I did that for a month and I was so miserable. Like probably the most miserable I've ever been. I, it was one of those moments where you're like, what the fuck was I thinking? Like I, I had these job prospects. It was one of those periods of doubt, right? Where you're like, I had these job prospects. Maybe these people were right. Maybe Mm. I'm crazy. Like maybe I can't, maybe there's like literally something wrong with me that I would take this type of risk and be like, 
living in a basement <laughs> eating two dollar slices of pizza like i maybe i should crack to orange county like yeah. what's going on uh and then this job from facebook uh showed up on my google search and i scoured my network and tried to find someone that knew someone and uh, ended up finding someone at mashable who knew someone that worked at facebook who had just started actually and you know him andrew mm -hmm. marler mm -hmm. he had just started at facebook and i asked him if he could put in a referral so we had like two phone calls i never met him in my life he basically screened me then he, he lied on the, the, I mean, not lied, but. <laughs> it's been long enough. We can say lied. You know what yeah. it's like when you're like, you're like, who, like, who, how well do you know this referral? It's like, is it a friend? Sliding they reached scale. out to me. Like they reached out to me. They're passively looking. And he clicked like, I don't know, used to work with, like highly recommend. Yeah. So, <laughs> so. I got I got uh, interviews at Facebook, and uh, it was very insane. I think I was the last person to join the rotational program that Anthony was actually a part of as well. That's where I met Anthony our first day at Facebook almost seven years ago. Right, that's what ten people out of how many how many applications? Oh my God! I think it was ten thousand is what they said when we. When yeah. We got. It wasn't. It was eight people. And three of them were already working at Facebook. So it was five slots for external hires. Uh, and there was probably 10,000, I mean, probably 10,000 yeah. applications or more. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that was just, it was one of those things where I think that for everyone, you need a point where your risk pays off, right? Where you have, a, you take a big swing, and you hit it out of the park. And I think when people ask the question, is it luck or is it hard work? It's so much of it is, it's so both, right? Mm -hmm. Like you need to be ready there when the opportunity strikes, but it's luck that that happened at that time and that I was in that position. So setting the context of like, were you actively looking at like a bunch of other companies or was Facebook like, that's it. Like if, if you didn't get the job, were you thinking like, I know I'll stay at Mashable. Um, and then, and then in your head, how are you like motivating yourself? Right. Because you had these moments where probably your friends from college and the roommate situation, you had to have the mental resilience and mental belief to keep going and, and not decide to go home to Orange County. And so like, what was, what else was in the context of your head? And also like, was Facebook just one out of like a hundred other swings that you were taking at the time? It, I, I actually can't totally remember. I know that I wanted to work at a tech company that I knew about, right? So I think there was probably like a handful of tech companies that I was thinking about that had New York openings. Uh, it was definitely tech. I wanted to get out of publishing. I wanted to work, you know, on a, on a consumer product that I used. Uh, so I, I think I applied to another company that I really wanted to work at and I ended up emailing like Tristan Walker directly was Foursquare. Uh, I wanted to work at like Twitter, Facebook, Foursquare, uh, you know, companies like companies like that. So, but the rotation was just so attractive to me because it was, I mean, you know, it was yeah. the, what more could you ask for? It was four different jobs within Facebook, all different experiences. So I actually ended up doing really well in the first round of interviews and Mandy, who was our recruiter actually said to me like the rotation's full. Do you want to also apply for this other account management position? And I was like, no, I remember I sent her an email. I said, absolutely not. Like I'll do whatever it takes. Like tell me what I need to do, how I need to impress my, my, the people. Like I, I don't want to be considered for the other position, only this one. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it felt, very like i remember i went to homecoming after i got my job at facebook and it felt very good obviously i i i uh really enjoyed telling people that i got a job at facebook uh in 2013 like no doubt about that um but more than anything it it just validated like i said that taking risks has reward like there's severe consequences and you will spend so much of your time on an island waiting for 
the light of day to appear. Uh, but eventually, if you just stay for long enough, it will. Uh, and I think that that's, that's something I learned in that moment. It's something I take with me throughout life is like there is always a back door. There always is a way. Uh, you just need to be resilient and flexible enough to find it. That is powerful. Absolutely. Awesome. So, I mean, but, but how long were you willing to kind of stick with that kind of risk-taking, being really honest with yourself? Well, the thing that I, well, what ended up happening is I worked at Facebook for five years, which is so long. Uh, if I think about what happened in those five years versus like what's happened, I haven't even, it hasn't even been five years since I left Facebook and I've done so much more in that period of time. So I totally got put on the IV of this cush Facebook life, right? Like I, I was making so much money like way more money than I ever would have expected to make at that age. I was given like free cold brew and eggs, like to my liking every morning. Like we had raclette. I mean, like it was so extra. Uh, I was getting flown all over the world. Like it was an amazing experience to the point where I became super risk averse for like the last three years of Facebook. So I feel like I, I can't answer that question, to be honest. Like, how long would I have gone if something didn't work out? I had nothing to lose when I, when I went to go work at Facebook. And then I had so much to lose when I left Facebook, or at least that's how it felt, right? Uh, so for me, uh, personally, it started to be, I, I felt both sides of the coin, right? Where you're, you're desperate and you will do anything. And then I've also felt the other side of the coin, which is, you're so comfortable. <laughs> like, take, make a move. Uh, and I know, and, and I can confidently say that that is worse. Like, really? In many regards. In many regards. It's not worse in the sense that, like, obviously struggling to, like, not be able to pay your bills. And I can't speak to that. And I, I'm not going to claim to. That's probably way worse. I'm not, like, I don't want to sound ignorant. But at the same time, like, when you are <clears throat> sitting in a seat and feeling no impact uh, and, and have potential, there's, there's really not being, not living up to your own potential is, is, is just like a travesty, right? And, and it hurt, it just every day hurts so much more than, than when you're out there grinding, right? Like when I started the company, I was out there grinding and no day like sucked in that period of time more than you know eating drinking blue bottle at facebook in Mellow park like even though that was way more comfortable yeah i i think this is something that you and i obviously feel very strongly about the idea of wasted potential and of course facebook has amazed people that have chosen to live their lives in a certain way but also some people like us choose to live our lives in a very different way kind of like yeah a riskier way, potentially, cowboy, pirate way. And I remember this quote that I, I decided to pull up because I remember I sent it to you a long time ago. I think you're still at Facebook. Jonathan Safran Foer, the art, uh, author, and said, yeah, sometimes I can hear my bones straining under the weight of all the lives I'm not living. Exactly. And that is just like this sort of powerful way to frame what you could or couldn't be doing. And it sounds like you felt that weight when you're at Facebook, you know, like, and, and maybe it took three years, but you felt that weight of the life you're not living and, and look at, look at, look at, look at life now. Oh, so much. I was depressed. I was so depressed. I was just, uh, and, and I lost like every ounce of confidence that I might've had, you know, even though I was performing so well and doing like to the outside world, it was like, you're living your best life, you know, like posting pictures skiing in japan on facebook's dime like it was not bad yeah. but it was awful at the same time like i just felt so useless uh and i think that i think that that is something that a lot of people that work at big tech companies that feel comfortable feel and really only feel and they feel guilty about feeling it because you're mm -hmm. like well i'm so privileged i'm so fortunate i shouldn't feel this way so you then get you then start feeling bad about feeling bad you know you're like oh i'm th there's something wrong with me like i feel i feel bad but i'm so lucky like what's wrong with me you know mm -hmm. 
and I think that I think that that's just uh, something that some people like they don't feel that at all and then there's some people that do and both are great but for me it was I had to do I had to do something I had to do something <laughs> that's so interesting and I guess um the, the other thing that I always think about I've never worked in big tech myself but you know there's such a huge user base for folks like Google Facebook etc that anything any product that you're working on and it's, it's going to be used by such a huge amount of users and it, I think it must be pretty easy to trick yourself into the impact that you can personally have when actually a lot of the ability to like reach those users has come from the people who founded the company all the way through to what you're doing now. Yes, 100%. Um, you don't, you know, you'd, the motivation was really hard because it was like, if I don't show up tomorrow, if I don't show up for a year, like what's going to actually happen here? You know, like, Facebook will still post its numbers. Uh, Facebook will still like move on and go on. And, and yeah, that, that lack of impact is definitely a huge part of, of why you feel aimless. Uh, and I think that a lot of people, like they don't get that from their work. Right. And they're fine with it. They're like, that's not important to them. It's like, I don't need to get that from my work. My work is my work. I get that from my family. I get that from my hobbies. I get that from my, like, I get that from my extracurriculars. I get that from all these other aspects, just providing for my family, taking care of my children, making sure they have a good life. Like that is enough for me. Right. So I do all of this for them and that's fine. But for me, I just like, I couldn't live that way. Like it wasn't, uh, I knew I could do more is I guess what it felt like. So, so, um, it sounds like well the next big transition we're gonna we're gonna talk about is is starting your company but maybe before that can we talk about maybe the turning point where when you were at Facebook why you left or how would you tell that story about how the straw that broke the camel's back to get you to leave Facebook after years of potentially dissatisfaction while also living a cush life was there was there a moment uh, a lightning bolt yeah so I really wanted to shift into product and work in product when I was at Facebook. Uh, so I applied for five jobs internally, lots, I applied for the rotational product management, uh, another rotation within Facebook, uh, didn't get it. I applied for, uh, over PM position, didn't get it. I applied for, uh, other product marketing jobs, didn't get it. So I ended up carving out like a product marketing function within my, my team on the sales team. Uh, for global accounts, but even that, like it wasn't nearly as much of a stretch as I wanted. So I realized that what happens at Facebook and large tech companies is they can have whoever they want. They can recruit whoever they want. So it makes it really challenging if you don't have five, 10 years of experience in that one domain to transition into that domain because they can go poach someone from LinkedIn or from Twitter, or from Google that has 15, 20 years of experience or like has the credentials that you don't have, although you might have the grit. So I found that Facebook's like own values on grit versus experience changed over time massively. Like when I was at Facebook, it was under 5,000 people, uh, which is a big company, but now it's at 50, it's 10 X since I, since I started. And uh, the values of the company when it came to people also changed and the types of people that it needed in reality changed. It's not even a negative thing. It's just the progression of the company. So I realized I needed to leave because that was not valued anymore. And I was almost judging myself on this, this world that I had, that I had really bought into. Right. I was like, this world is the world. Like Facebook is the world and Facebook is doing everything. And Facebook is amazing. And I, and I attributed all of the, like rejection personally to myself. So I was like, well, what if I just take myself out of this domain? Maybe I am capable. It's just, I'm not, I'm not in the right place. So I started looking at other companies and one company, I, I, this is so random how I ended up at a firm. I, I just saw it on a website. I think I had just bought my Peloton bike and I saw a firm and I was like, this is cool. They're hiring in San Francisco and I applied on a whim and then, and then I was really upset with my performance review at Facebook that I just said, like I was, I was a week before getting my recharge, like my free month off from Facebook. 
and I just quit and started a new job. I just foregoed it. It's like I've been taking a recharge for two years. <laughs> I don't I don't need to take a recharge. Like I'm I'm ready now. Like I need to work now. Like I need to build. I need to do something. Oh um, well, yeah, I was gonna say that, that yeah, you you're obviously pretty creatively minded. You always lean towards kind of marketing stuff. Um and I guess as you're growing, you get to a point where actually a lot of what's needed in a company like that is operations and just keeping things moving. So, you know, your creative spirit must be a little bit kind of quelled from that. Totally. Yeah. And, and I think that that's something that people don't realize uh, working at Facebook is the opportunity cost actually is extremely high, but no one thinks about it because they're like getting paid right now. Right. So like, there's actually a huge opportunity. There's so many incredibly talented people that could be entrepreneurs, could be like next Facebook founders at Facebook. Like Facebook keeps yeah. them, right? By paying them a lot of money to stay. Um, but the opportunity cost is there, right? Like there, there's so many good ideas that could be spurred out of Facebook uh, where people just stay. So 100% felt creatively stifled uh, and <laughs> felt like I wasn't, I was not living up to my full potential. It, it sounds like you took that feeling to even the next level when we get into this, this third big transition in your life, which was leaving a firm and starting your own company. So you left Facebook to better achieve your full potential. A firm, I'm sure, was a great place to be, but it sounded like that still wasn't what your full potential was. And then you started a company, and how did that happen? <laughs> Yeah, um, I sound really like terrible. I mean, not terrible, but like almost like, and you got that and you weren't satisfied. You got that and you weren't satisfied. I was that a poor framing? I don't know. I thought that was a pretty good framing. I don't like. reflective because these are both like incredible companies that I'm so fortunate to have been a part of. Um, so I, I think that you have this like personal dynamic, like right as you're leaving somewhere that then actually like starts to fade and dissipate as you leave and you like get some refreshed energy, right? So like I left Facebook like kind of mad and I left a firm like kind of mad. <laughs> and then now I look back and I'm like, well, it wasn't that bad. Like, Good times. Uh, but anyway, a firm was 400 people when I joined. So I went from like a 50,000 person organization to a 400 person organization. A firm is over a thousand people now. Uh, and I left about a year ago. So. Uh, a firm has scaled a lot. But what I found out is that like 400 person organizations are not really, I mean, like series D startups are not startups, yeah. right? Uh, so when I was at a firm, I, I thought to myself, I was like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, just forge a path and, and become whatever product, whatever at a firm and it's going to be great. But I got there and soon realized like, oh, this company is like already big, right? Like there's already the growing pains of a big company are here already. Uh, there's already like a lot of leaders in place. Like this isn't actually the place. This isn't the place that I thought I was going to be going. And the truth is, is that I didn't really know. It's hard to, it's hard to decipher size at this point. Cause you're like 50,000, 400, 400 is tiny. Like that's like, that must be like really, really small. Right. Uh, and it wasn't, so it wasn't small. So almost immediately after I got there, I was like, okay, I still like, I feel like a much larger cog in this machine for sure. Like I was definitely way more senior. I was definitely calling way more of the shots. I was definitely given much more opportunity to like define a category in a business. And it was fun and creatively interesting for a short period of time until I started feeling again, like, okay, this happened too fast. Like I'm still not, feeling that radical growth that I want to feel. So at that point, I, I went to, I saw this accelerator, uh, or I don't even know what we call on deck these days. What do we call on deck? A, this, a, an accelerator? A, a community. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Cohort-based community? Yeah, there we go. Uh, so on deck was just getting started. So I, I uh, found out about on deck and they were launching the first fellowship. So I joined on deck, the first fellowship, uh, last August or two Augusts ago. And there I just, I was blown away. I was like, okay, 
there's so many people here in the exact same position as me that are taking the leap, that are starting companies. Uh, and these ideas are, are all at the earliest stage and they're all doing it. Like I can do it too. Like, I think I can do it too. You know, these other people are doing it too. So I ended up thinking a lot in that way uh, in August and I, and I was getting married in, in October. So it was, this is August. Then now, you know, I'm almost I'm close to vesting at a firm. So I stayed through December, uh, but ended up, ended up leaving and deciding like, all right, it's time to do this. Uh, it was also approaching, I had always wanted to start a company before I turned 30. It's like a weird milestone I had in my head. Uh, so I was like, if you it's just, either you just want to be full, full of study under 30, didn't you? Be honest. <laughs> no, it was, it's actually more of like, uh, I think it's just, people think that you have so much time, right? And, and you do have a lot of time, but there's also like a finite period of time when you graduate college. So when you like have dependents exactly. and have to pay bills, and like when those things are part of the equation, it just becomes a lot harder to make the justification because you're not making the justification just for yourself. You're making the justification yeah. for your whole family at that point. Right. Um, so anyway, I did it. I pulled the plug. I quit. Uh, I left and I had an idea that I was, I was toying around with the uh, ex Facebooker around all this fragmentation that existed in the direct consumer ecosystem so many individual brands uh, and I had gotten really good exposure to this at a firm because I worked with pretty much all D2C brands, Peloton, the real, real, like all of these massive D2C brands. And I realized that there's this need for a better acquisition channel as Facebook became more expensive. So the first idea was how do we get merchants to work together to drive acquisition costs down? So the first concept was after someone makes a purchase, they can be shown other complimentary products from other brands. And for doing so, that brand will earn an impression across the network. Uh, so it was this whole network concept uh, that I wanted to, you know, wanted to take a bite out of. So I had the idea before I quit. Uh, and I knew what I was gonna work on. Uh, I knew where, I, I, I knew what I was gonna work on. I knew more or less what I was gonna work on when I left. That's amazing. And, and then there was, you know, a group of people all coming together at this stage of intention. Like what, what happened for you? What happened next? I think that what happened next is, uh, I, I don't even know. I think that one of the things that happened was when you work at Facebook and Instagram, it's almost like an unfathomable accomplishment. Like you're like, there's just no way there's once in a generation companies that come around like Facebook, right? where all the stars align and it, it, it hits it out of the park. And then when I worked at a firm, I was like, okay, this is like a really interesting company, no doubt, but it's also like not as crazy as Facebook and Instagram, right? Uh, so that got me thinking, I was like, okay, if these people can do this and they can create this really big company, then maybe I can. And then I, and then I went to on deck and it was like that next level of like, oh, well, this is where company builders are. Yeah. And like they're doing it and they have the same accolades, the same cush lifestyle and they're ditching it and they're going after it. I should do that. You know, I should do that too. Like what, why wouldn't I do that? I have no excuse anymore as to why I wouldn't do that. Right. Like these people are doing it and I can do it. What was the first step then? Was the first step to the creation of the reality of the dream of co-op? Was it just writing that first line of code building prototype, the landing page, like, getting a co-founder or like what was the step that made that reality and realize that you kind of crossed the Rubicon, you'd pulled the trigger and you were no longer going to be working at a firm, but you're going to be going all in, I guess, on the startup. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I just, my mind was just like, I was like, this is the most incredible wedge into a massive company that I have ever seen. Yeah. And I had never had an idea and then maybe never will again that had such unbelievable response. Like it was, you know, when you go and you tell people about your idea and they're like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I know about XYZ startup. You're like, that's nothing like this. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm talking about. You know, uh, 
that was the opposite. You know, it was like, well, we're building the Amazon things you may also like a recommendation engine for the rest of the internet. And people are just like, take a second. Wait, that doesn't exist already. And you're like, no, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Like there is literally <laughs> not a cross store recommendation engine in between individual brands. Let that sit. Yeah. And then the answer is like, well, why, why isn't there that, you know, it's like, is it because it's like stupid? Is it because it's like, there hasn't been a moment in time? Like what's the reasoning? And in our case, I just think it's because it's hard. It's not easy. It's so hard to get the incentives aligned to get individual brands to want to work together and to like build that mechanism. And we've been chipping at it and chipping at it and chipping at it and staying with it and staying with it and staying with it. And, you know, and now we're starting to see like, there's something here, right? There's actually something here. Once we get to critical mass, just like any network, any marketplace. So this sounds, it, must be, it must be like, yeah, I was gonna say, it just must be incredible to like suddenly be in a community of people who are building as well, you know? I mean, when you're at Facebook, you probably got a little bit sick of the attitude of everyone kind of just plodding along, doing their thing. Oh, yeah. And now suddenly there's a world opening up with flowers flourishing in every direction. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think that both, both on deck was that for me, but also just San Francisco and the Bay Area. Uh, everyone wants to say that the Bay Area is dying. Uh, I've lived in many geographies in my life and there's nothing like the energy for startups in San Francisco. And sure things are more distributed now but moving here and being around that energy physically too was just so so infectious right it was like yes these people rather than a, all the reasons why something wouldn't work you'll meet people in on deck or in san francisco or or venture capitalists in san francisco that are like well if you did this then it, this would unlock and then 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 all of a sudden you're public and you own the world and you're like and you're like, okay, wow. Like I was thinking even smaller than that. Yeah. Great. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the energy of that community was just undeniable. Uh, helped so much just with so, like so many different reasons. On deck was an extremely valuable resource um, at the earliest stage for sure. Yeah. Well, looking at where you are today, it sounds like you've been through quite a lot in setting up co-op co since leaving a firm. Um, I'm sure like any startup in a high growth stage, you've had many stories, like many moments of doubt again, I'm sure moments of triumph. Are there any like stories right now, maybe on a handful, like three or something um, that kind of highlight things you've learned or maybe the most dramatic moments or just, I, I guess the, the mini transitions that you've had in the last year. Yeah. I think that the, the theme that I, I've even received a comment on it and it, it is true. I, I will not give up like it over, like in, into a sense of probably like, this is probably not a good trade. Like to the point where I am like, like my face is in the asphalt and getting dragged with a rope around. It. <laughs> like I will not give up. Like this I, needs to exist. I believe it. Uh, like this needs to exist 100%. Like 100% this needs to exist and we're the best position to do it, full stop, right? So like that, that the, the, the perseverance that it takes to be a founder, a solo founder at that, a non-technical solo founder at that, on top of that, like not to, I'm not bragging, I mean this in like a very, very uh, meaningful way to all the founders listening out there that might be tuning into this podcast, like you can do it. It just is probably gonna be a really, really hard road. <laughs> so only do it if you believe as much as I do in this idea, right? Uh, so I guess that's one accolade is like, be ready for the hardest thing you've ever done. Uh, but then also uh, realize that there is, if on, on, on good ideas, I don't like to say this to every, like on an idea that's validated, like there is, and that needs to exist, that's so obvious, that isn't, a, that isn't in the world, like that is so clear, like just keep going. Uh, and I guess an example of that is like, you know, we, we stopped co-op <laughs> completely in May. Like, like I, I let go of my, of my part-time engineers. I was $15,000 in debt 
on the idea. It was just me. I was consulting like all the way from January to July. I uh, could not fundraise, could not get a check in for the company. Uh, and that perseverance like paid off. And then we raised one and a half million dollars in July and we're off to the races and now we're at 350 merchants and it's working and the stats are there and we're monetizing and we're on our, like blah, 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 blah. But like if I would have, there's just so many different times where it was really hard and I could have just said this, this sucks or like this, I'm get, I got bad feedback from this merchant or the results aren't there or like whatever, whatever. Uh, pushing through and being ambitious, just that's the way to win, I suppose. That, that specific moment that you're talking about where like May, it seemed like things weren't going to turn out well. That reminds me of when you were in New York and you were in that apartment and you're like, fuck, like, was this a good idea? And then that turning point for you was, was getting the job at Facebook. Uh, but from May to the, the successful fundraise, um, uh, like, was there a turning point there? Was it just an accumulation of, I don't know, you just talked to enough investors that someone took a bet? Uh, love to know, like, the, the transition, right? It's like from the darkness to the light. Like, what happened there specifically? I think that the thing that happened was I got more flexible. You know what I mean? Like, you just are all of a sudden, you're like, okay, plan B. Plan C, plan D, plan E, plan F, plan G, like plan Z. Okay, like yeah. this didn't work out. We're gonna like, you know, it's back to that point where it's like, what do I have to lose? Like I already quit my job. I'm already in this for five, six months. Like the product is built. I just need to get more merchants to use it. So let's keep the product as is. I think there's something here still like chug, 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 you know, like Okay. And then you learn about fundraising. I didn't know anything about fundraising. Like I didn't know how to play this terrible game that is fundraising. I didn't know how to like get my investors all at the, and then I'm not good at, I'm not the best person when it comes to like reading and, and I'm not the best person when it comes to like, I don't know, like people were telling me things to do and I didn't do them. And it was like, okay, well you didn't do them. Like, duh, it doesn't work because these people have raised money and you haven't like what makes you think that you can't you can do it without doing these things so it was like getting all your 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 investors at the table at once and and talking about it this way and not this way and and making sure your deck flows in this way and not that way and like making sure that you're talking to investors that actually invest early not like series d investors that are growth stage and like that invest in biotech and Making sure you're not talking to investors that don't understand what ads are, yeah. like how Facebook and Google make money. Like you should probably talk to only investors that do understand. So I just, it was just so much trial and error and I didn't have, you know, and it was a pandemic and I was alone kind of like trying to figure this out. Uh, that I just, I just kept trying, you know, just like, let's try this key. Yeah. Let's try this key. Let's try this key. Let's try this key. And, and I, and then they finally, a key worked and like every fundraising story it was like couldn't get couldn't get two pennies to rub together and then had too much money at the table and all that jazz so what is it and i mean i mean to use anthony's uh point earlier on you literally went through that hero's journey then you went into the abyss you transformed you tried different things and now you're coming to the point where you've got that gift of the goddess which is you know <laughs> things are really working out <laughs> Yeah, I think the other thing that I would say is like, just be prepared for it to get terrible again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a cycle. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that that's one thing I'm taking yeah. with me. Yeah, it's like, it's like okay, uh, it's gonna probably get really bad again. Like, I, I'm not, so the one thing that I've learned is almost that concept of just like, enjoy this when it's going good. Like, just enjoy it feel good about it because you're probably going to end up with like all these other challenges that come with growing a startup. Like it's never over. Right. Yeah. So maybe like the survival phase sort of ends. Right. But then it's like the thrive phase. It's like, I'm going to survive and then I'm going to thrive. And like, mm -hmm. we're not thriving yet. You know, like we, we we're close to thriving, but we're definitely not thriving. And then when you're thriving, it's like, how do you thrive? but have hundreds of people thrive with you. 
yeah. you know, where you have hundred, you're now responsible for, and I think this is something that happened yesterday with the Affirm IPO that really sat with me was this is, this company is responsible for the wealth generation of thousands of people that have worked here previous past and future, right? Like that is such an enormous burden when you start to then shift your focus away from like me and my startup being successful to like this startup being like a wealth creator for families and for people mm. that come work here. You know what I mean? It's like this. So you're never done is the point. Like you're like, I'm in this phase right now and I'm like, feel comfortable here. But this is the wonderful thing about startup journeys. Like you never hit that, you hit that wall at the end end, like when things are really, really mature and then you have to start a whole journey again, but it's never over, right? Yeah. It's never over. I think that's what, with every one of these milestones we've talked about, like me moving to here, me moving to there, I felt so like good about that. I was like, this is as good as it gets. And then you realize like that also ends. Yeah. <laughs> and that also ends and that also ends. And that also ends. And then you, you realize like, as you get older, that like, you're going to learn so much, right? There's a whole new challenge ahead of you. And one, one thing that you said as well, a little bit earlier on, was um, on the first lesson, um, for non-technical co- uh, founders, you know, I think a lot of potential founders wait until they potentially, you know, find their technical co-founder and do it the right way as it is deemed to be. You know, what, what kind of message would you give to a non-technical co-founder with an idea who wants to make something happen but is holding off right now? Don't hold off. Uh, time is of the essence. <laughs> Just think about that. Yeah. Like, if I would have started co-op six months later, a year later, I think I would have missed this wave, like, entirely. So if you see something that needs to be done now, do it now. Uh, and there are so many resources that exist for non-technical founders especially if you know exactly what needs to get built. Like for me, it was like, I know exactly what this looks like, what this is. Like I can communicate it. I can articulate it. If that's the case, like find someone that's technical, you know, find someone, message someone, message someone that might want to be a co Like there's so many things that you don't do because you're fearful as a non-technical, like non-technical founder. You look at these technical folks as like being on a pedestal and like being so hard to get in touch with and so hard to work with. So you're just like, you're trying to like be respectful and not, not touch, like not to and stroke the ego correctly and not act desperate and this and that. It's like, just fucking go for it. Just do it. Don't wait. Don't wait. <laughs> Wonderful life lessons, Connor. Um, that's just, I feel like so many people from different walks of life can learn a lot from what you've said and your story. So thank you for, for sharing. Um, to close off, we've got a couple of questions for you. They're, they're traditions now. Um, oh, I love that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, ben, do you want to go with the first one? Yeah. Hey, I think this one's all yours. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll <laughs> ask the, the two of them then. Okay. Connor, um, what is your favorite rom-com? Oh. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Okay. Okay. Why, why is that? Is that just, you just like it? It's just a good story, special I it's, memories? I think it's hilarious. It's really funny. Okay. That's okay. No, I, we'll love that. Time. I feel like you're judging my answer. It's no, on. I'm not, not judging the answer. Oh, it's yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to rewatch that. It's been a while. It came out like 03 or something, right? It's, it's kind of like, old. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be my pick, but I, I guess some people have preferences. You know? uh, oh, I mean, the other one is, is uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. That's, uh, yeah, nice. that's that's a good There's a family favorite. There we are. Yeah, that's a good one. Just, all, you, you, pleased, you pleased us. Yeah, we're all in alignment now. <laughs> um, and the last question uh, before we just get asked, well, as you had people get in contact with you, is uh, knowing what you know now, what life advice would you give to your younger self? I, I'm still giving myself this advice every day, which is uh, enjoy the journey more, right? Uh, and stop worrying so much about the future. I think that what ends up happening is you, you can run the risk of, of continually uh, 
worrying so much that you don't understand just how special the the parts of the journey are in aggregate yeah. uh and it it's very very easy to do because you're just you're if you always want more you always want more you always want more you just like aren't you don't value the things that are right in front of you uh, so yeah that would be what i would say to myself i love that and um I, I guess another question on that is like how do you do that i'm not very good at it to be clear um, so I'm working on it now mm -hmm. uh, more frequently. I think one thing is just thinking more frequently about the things that you're grateful for and the things that are not uh, related to your career, mm -hmm. right? Like your family, your friends, your significant other, your dog, <laughs> like yeah. your health, your health, like being, oh, yeah. being healthy, having mm -hmm. energy, uh, and just being like more cognizant of the things that you take for granted, just like everyone else does, right? Like these things are here and now. Like the fact that I have a roof over my head, the fact that I am all of those things, like just being more cognizant of the graph, like and be grateful for the things that you have helps a lot. Uh, and then I think another thing that helps a lot is helping others. Like when you, and I try to do this way more now, like when you see someone that's just, you know, one or two steps behind you. There's so many people in on deck and, uh, and beyond that, that, had a startup that was my really good friend and one of my investors, Alec Koenig, who started a company called Settle and we used to work together at a firm. He, uh, he was just three, three, six months ahead of me. Uh, he had left a firm, I think four months before I did. And he always, always made time to like help me with like, whether that be like how to file my corporation or how to like set up my corporation or how to hire, or how to, all like literally every aspect of a startup, how to position my fundraise, like he just always, always helped me. And I think that that's like another thing that I've been trying to do with folks that are just starting is like, there's so much sage wisdom you accumulate on that journey. So being reflective up, upon it and then sharing it with folks that need it, the step before you makes you recognize it again, like you learned that. Like you are now an expert in that thing. Like I can consider myself now an expert in fundraising for at least a pre-seed, right? Mm -hmm. I know how to do it. Uh, and I didn't. So you have those moments where like you actually weren't, you didn't, you don't acknowledge how much you've grown. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason why uh, you don't give yourself a pat on the back, right? Because you're always in pursuit for the next thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that like both a mixture of gratitude, paying it forward, reflect, being reflective, are all strategies that really, really help uh, you understand just th that that everything is part of the journey, right? Amazing. Connor, before we close, how should people find you? Twitter, what's the website? How do they get in touch with you and who should get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, so if you are a brand that wants to try a new acquisition channel and work with over 350 other brands, you can find us at coopcommerce.com, which is just like coopcommerce, C-O-O-P, commerce.com. And if you would like to follow the journey along, you can follow me on Twitter at Connor, C-O-N-N-E-R, Sherline, S-H-E-R-L-I-N-E. And my DMs are open, so feel free to ping me if you have any questions. Well, everybody should get in touch with Connor. Thank you for your time, Connor. <laughs> It's been a wonderful, wonderful conversation and look forward to having you on again, maybe. Yeah, at the next milestone. Yes. Oh, yeah.